0: Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweid Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweid Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com.
1: Hello, David. Mr. Brad Garoon, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm always good. I'm always psyched for this podcast. You know why? Because I like the podcast. I do too. I think it's
0: fun that you call me David. My, my mom will thank you because she's really the only person that
1: says that. I really only like when my mom, I don't like it. I don't like when anyone calls me Bradley, although um, I've got a coworker. His name's Michael. I've started calling him Maggle. It's a, it's a wrestling joke. Um, <laughs> and so he started calling me, Bra- I can't always hear him. He's on the other side of the room, but it's some, some variation of Bradley. This is not interesting. Um, <laughs> you know what's interesting? I like burgers. Uh, yeah, burgers. Let's talk about burgers, like we do. You want me to go first? You want me to tell you about a burger I had? Brad,
0: would you please tell me about a burger
1: you've had? Sure. So I'm going to tell a little story. I have walked by the Brazen Fox on Third Avenue so many times. I've been uh,
0: there. I've the
1: burger. Well, now I have two. Um, it's right by the movie theater that is terrible. It's, uh, but it's also actually it's not that bad of a movie theater. But it's also just sort of like in the center of the East Village, right? So I noticed that painted on their w- facade, it says, voted best burger. And that's a big pet peeve of mine when they say voted best burger, but they don't say by who. So I went home and Googled it, and I couldn't find anything. All I found was that they were on a list that Eater put out of uh, dry-aged beef burgers in New York City. And I've had other burgers on this list that I've liked and other burgers on that list that I didn't like. But uh, I saw Spotlight this week with our buddy Mike from BurgerLift and then we went i was like you know what it's right by it's right by brazen fox let's go and try this burger and see if it's up to snuff and we got their uh their dry aged beef with bone marrow burger and i liked it it was a little overcooked but i actually dug it quite a bit
0: yes they when the chef came up with that burger uh he was trying to emulate minetta tavern and try to underprice them
1: well he definitely underpriced them it tastes nothing like minetta tavern but it's very buttery and very succulent and i just wished uh i wished a little bit that it hadn't been so over it wasn't so overcooked it was a little overcooked but i i liked it quite a bit and um i still want to know who voted them best burger i don't i don't know if it's true
0: by the way i don't know if he's still there but the chef at brazen fox used to be the chef at mark burger
1: well i didn't know that you needed to have a chef at mark burger (laughs) what's your deal man what's new with you
0: Uh, You know, I went on this burger crawl last week with some of our friends, uh, Billy's Burgers, Bay Burger Blog, Burger List, uh, Sisterhood of the Unbuttoning Pants, and we hit four places in one night. And we started at a place that I swear they deliver the goods every single time I go. And I know that you don't repeat a lot of burgers, but I've probably eaten this burger more times in the last year than any
1: other burger in New York City. Genuine roadside. I've actually repeated that place a couple of times. I went the first time with some friends. And then I had a second date with a girl who I ended up dating for a long time there the next night. And then you and I went kind of recently. So I've, I've been a few times.
0: They take that like classic LA roadside American burger that has made like the in and out thing so famous. And they just modernize it with unique and interesting flavors. And I love it. I had the Spicy Smokehouse with the, that has the Schweid USDA Prime on it. Certified Angus Beef. It's delicious. Then they add bacon, smoked gouda, charred jalapeno, mayo, uh, sweet pickles, and, uh, and, and barbecue sauce, which almost sounds like it's too
1: much, but it's so good. It just delivers every time. Have you been to Genuine Suprette? I have. I've been there as well. What do you think of it compared to Roadside? It is not as easy to get to from my apartment. Understood. Now, have you been to <laughs> – it's not about burgers, but have you been to Genuine Licorette? I've not been downstairs yet. That'll have to happen. Okay, I'm going to tell you a story off-air about what happened to me at Genuine liquor <laughs> All
0: right, well, let's segue it over to our interview today with Tyler Anderson. Uh, he'll definitely have some great insights on uh, local marketing. I want to welcome Tyler Anderson to the show today. He's a speaker, a consultant, and most importantly, the founder and CEO at Casual Fridays, which is a social media marketing agency that primarily works in the hospitality business. Some of their clients include Marriott International, Penske Automotive, Jersey Mike Subs, and more. Uh, Tyler is also the host of Social Media Social Podcast and the producer of Social Media Day San Diego. Tyler, when is the right time for business to outsource their social media marketing?
2: I'd say when they when they when they recognize that they don't have the uh, the the team that it requires to have, and that's one of the first things I tell all the clients. Um, you know, I don't look at as, as us as a vendor; we're really an extension of their team. We just basically because we do it in scale. Uh, we have more bodies who can contribute to this because as social media's evolved, it's not a one-person job anymore.
1: Okay, so you're working with a client. How day-to-day do you interact with the, the marketing professional on their team?
2: Uh, I'd say you know, there's at least communication definitely going on on a weekly basis, you know, whether it's in the form of, of email communication. But how we typically work with our uh, clients and accounts, um, you know, we have a team of people who are designated to an account. So there's a social media strategist, um, and that is kind of their day-to-day point contact, so that's the one who's really ultimately communicating with them, but then supporting that person uh, is a social media coordinator, and then we have a team of community managers, just because a lot of these businesses uh, do get you know, constant feedback through these various social channels at all times of the day. So again, that's a, that's, a, that's a team effort, and then we also have a team of graphic designers, so between the graphic designers, the community management team, the coordinators and the strategists, all those kind of work with our accounts.
0: Do you find that people come to you it's because they have too many followers or is it they're too busy during their day like what's the typical the typical marking point
2: you know we have people who work with us on kind of a couple different tiers, and so we have some who come to us just simply because they recognize us as thought leaders in the space. They have come across our content that we've put out, whether it 's our own podcast. Or they, you know, they were basically referred to us um, from somebody else who's had a great, you know, success win with us. So a, a lot of our business is word of mouth generated, but then a lot of it also comes to us um, from our own content marketing. So, you know, we have some accounts who recognize that they don't need help really, maybe with the social strategy, and they don't even need help when it comes to creating the content. They just need help managing that, and so uh, we have some clients who literally only use this for community management ser- services, so they maybe have a few employees on their team who are you know, handling uh, the day-to-day aspects of social media, but they want a life after five o'clock or on the weekends, and so they want to have a trustworthy partner who can basically be there to respond to their audience in a very timely manner, could can maybe perhaps get two reviews over the weekend or uh, you know at night just because the data suggests and the data proves that people are using now social media as kind of an extension of customer service and they want responses in a very timely manner. So um, that's another reason where people will come to us. But then again, to, to the first point, we have other ones who come to us because they recognize that we're... You know, a, thought, a thought leader in the space and who could help them out and really kind of help them establish what their social media strategy should be and how it ties to their overarching goals as a company.
1: Can we backtrack just a second? I'm curious, how did Casual Fridays begin?
2: Great question. So uh, I started the business in 2009 and prior to that, you know, I guess just to kind of give you a little bit of a, of a rundown here, my previous experience was in traditional media. So I worked in radio And I was always an early adapter, though, to social media. So that really dates all the way back to 2003 on MySpace when I was just using it as a user. And then around 2005, I started um, the MySpace channels for our radio station. And then I started leveraging that uh, from a social media promotional standpoint with some of our top clients like Pepsi and Vitamin Water. And that's when I first kind of saw the writing on the wall. Like, whoa, this is this is going to be huge, you know. And I and I saw feedback from some clients that they were actually getting more traction from the kind of promotional activities that we were doing on MySpace versus what we were able to offer from the radio station. And so, um, now, now, granted, that was like 2005, 2006. Then, because of the success of that, I kind of got what I like to call the golden handcuffs. I was promoted into management at the radio station because of the the wins that we had. Um, But I still, as I was trying to encourage brands and and businesses that we were working with from the radio station to leverage social media, nobody took it seriously uh, from the agency side. A lot of the local agencies here in Southern California treated social media like an added value platform. And so that's where I kind of went to five of my, my clients that I had a great relationship with at the radio station, said, listen, if I were to branch off from the radio station and offer a service that looked like this, would you be interested and would you sign up with it? and I, I had five of them said they would and that's really, that's how I started. So, and then fast forward here now, here it is, we are almost seven years old, which is just blows my mind uh, that the social media agency has, has lasted that long. Not that I didn't believe it wouldn't, I guess. I just, I didn't know. It was kind of uncharted waters at that time. Um, but we're still working with three of those those five clients. So, uh, clearly it's, it's, it's showing it's, you know, I think the biggest need that people realize is that this space is always evolving and that's why they've needed assistance from a a third party vendor or a social media agency but so yeah we started in 2009.
0: How important is it when hiring out for social media marketing services that there be someone inside the company who can sort of manage and oversee those initiatives?
2: Absolutely critical. I mean that's one of the things that I've seen how this has evolved so much so back in 2009 you know when we first started people wanted to hire us because they literally just want to hand us the keys you know to their entire social strategy and just let us do everything and they didn't really even ask us like what we were doing or why we were doing it. They just kind of knew that, oh, social media is, it's important, it's growing, we need to have a presence in it, but they just literally trusted us to do everything. And and we could publish everything and and really not have much interaction with the clients. Fast forward now, and I'd say really the last two years, um, it's absolutely imperative that, you know, it's a team effort. So if we don't have a client who's still engaged with us, we're not gonna be able to do the best job for them, and so they still have to obviously communicate with us. Um, and a lot of times, I mean, the publishing is actually even something I'm trying to put more back on the clients because the best content's gonna come from within the walls of that business. It's something that you know, yeah, five six years ago we could have created a lot of cool content uh, remotely and used it, but now you know, especially as more of these social platforms are you know really want the the experience to be mobile. I mean, we first saw that with Instagram, right? Uh, that the content need to be created at the business. So we're trying to get out of that and, and really kind of put that more on the clients. And so we call them like social media ambassadors or social media team members and so usually the business will identify a few people who we communicate with. We tell them what kind of content we want them to create and how it ties into the social media strategy. But then we kind of handle still everything from there such as you know scheduling that content, amplifying that content, whether it's through ads of some sort, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram. Um, and, and, and really doing a lot of the other stuff, but social media from my perspective has changed so much, you know, uh, as I'm sure you guys know, but so many businesses, I think, still always want to evaluate their social media strategy by the content that they're creating. You know, what content are we publishing? And, you know, one of the phrases I throw around a lot now is that publishing is just one part of the strategy. And so we, we look at other things that tie into that, such as the social customer care. I mean, to me, customer service on social media is the new marketing. And then the other thing is how do you get your customers or your guests or whatever you want to call them to create more content on behalf of your brand? And so that's the uh, what I like to say the user generated content piece and to me the user generated content is actually more impactful and more important than the brand content you can create simply because we've seen how there's a decline in reach on on a platform like Facebook for example yet there's not that much I mean there's still a decline in reach but there's higher probability that the content your guests are creating uh, is gonna get in the news feeds to their audiences more so than what your brand content will. so if you get them to be your storytellers that can have a huge impact, and plus we've all seen the stats out there. You know, 92% of people trust their friends and families and, and word of mouth recommendations more than they do anything else. So if you get your, your customers creating more of that content on your behalf and now they're your storytellers, that's how you're also gonna grow your bottom line through social media.
1: I think that's a really good segue into you guys offer social media coaching how does that work with your clients? Do you, do you have a scheduled time that you can catch up with them? Are you telling them what kind of content to produce or is it more about coaching them in skills like responding to customers and that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, it kind of depends on their needs and, and truthfully, we don't offer a ton of that because um, it just gets to the point where we actually do kind of restrict the types of clients we work with, right? This is something that you know five, six years ago, anybody who wanted to work with us, we were always open to working with them now we've really kind of created a niche of who we want to work with. So, you know, yes, a lot of it does kind of fall into the, um, you know, the hotels, resorts, restaurant groups, tourism categories. But we do have other few clients in like the nonprofit seg- sector, technology, or automotive. Um, but when it comes to the coaching, it's just it's a lot of times it's easier uh, for us just to be involved and kind of take it over. But when we do do coaching stuff, it does usually typically fall under um, helping them kind of identify what their strategy should be, best practices you know, the tools they should be using, um, kind of helping them get you know their whole plan set up. You know, A lot of these guys, when they, when they come to us, they don't even know about like kind of writing a content calendar, for example. What does that look like? Uh, how do you do things? And then, of course, keeping them up to date with these platforms as they're always changing. I mean, here it is today, and I can't even tell you how many times that this happens, but Facebook, once again, has tweaked their newsfeed algorithm. So making sure they're familiar with those kind of changes and how that can have a ripple effect on their social media strategy.
0: So Tyler, I have a suggestion. How would you feel if we did like a little bit of role playing here and Brad and I pretended to be a restaurant. We gave you some clues about who we are and you kind of walked us through like what would be the first conversation with you and the types of questions that you would ask us to get us thinking about our social strategy.
2: Sure, absolutely.
0: All right. So let's let's say that we're a fast casual restaurant, right? Okay. Menu's pretty limited. It's mostly like, you know, burgers, sandwiches, sides, some ice cream, okay. right? And that's kind of it. It's just good food, and that's kind of all we do. And we've realized, you know, we have a couple stores open. Uh, you know, we can't really manage the social media, but we know it's important. Like, what kind of questions are you asking us? What should we be thinking about?
2: Well, some of the stuff you just said to me uh, gives me a little bit of an idea. So you mentioned like two to three locations. Like, that's one of the first things I want to know for, especially for a restaurant or a restaurant group, is how many locations. And then also, are they all local? Are they all in the same area? Are they scattered? Um, because you have to understand too, you know, managing a social presence. A lot of times too, that you know, for a platform like Facebook, you know, where you want to make sure you have, you know, a places page intact because that can help you get to get found or get discovered. Um, some of the channels, you know, particularly if you're building the brand, I'm not. You don't have to necessarily have, um, you know, a page for every individual uh, location because. Uh, a lot of times they're, they're people are just looking for a brand to, to engage with, for example with Twitter, you don't need to have a Twitter handle for every single location. So uh, first thing I always do want to know is the number of locations. And then I like to get an idea of, of what, what do you currently have in place? You know, do you currently have a social media presence? Which channels are you active on? Who's managing that? How often are you guys publishing to that content? Are you guys responding to people who are engaging with your brand or do you not even know? A lot of them have no idea. <laughs> so, um, And then especially, you know, before I even, you know, one of the, the things that, that kind of gets asked a lot of times is, um, you know, is Yelp a social network, for example, and I lump it under there for sure, but I want to know, are you guys, you know, I'm sure you're on Yelp. I'm sure one of your customers has, has added you if you haven't even gone on yourself and added yourself, but... You know, do you have ownership to your Yelp profile? Are you actively monitoring, you know, who's writing you reviews? Do you have a review strategy? Because obviously, you know, one of the best ways to grow your bottom line is to get more positive reviews because people will uh, take those reviews into account. So those are some of the first questions I would ask you guys, you know, are basically, what's your current setup? You know, how much of it do you have in your control? You know, or or, if you don't know, that's fine. And who's currently kind of running point on that? Um, and all that is kind of the first step, and then based on your answers, we kind of go from there.
1: So let's say I've got uh, a couple dozen franchises out in a a pretty concentrated area, like let's just take the East Coast, for example. So now let's take Facebook now. You mentioned maybe there should just be one brand page for Twitter. Well, maybe there should just be one brand page for Facebook, but now Facebook is encouraging you to claim all of your local pages, claiming them as child pages, and Mm -hmm. then running them as if they were Yelp pages, essentially. Yep. So let's say your team is one, maybe two people. Do you Would you advise a marketing team to run that themselves or is that too big of a project?
2: I'd have to really look at the activity. I mean, when you first get started, I think you could probably, you know, if you're assuming you're a smaller franchise and you don't have a ton of activity on those pages, I think you certainly could uh, run that yourself, you, you probably would need the assistance because I'm sure a lot of you are out there wondering like what the heck's a child page though, right? <laughs> so you, you might need some assistance to, to get that proper structure in place and maybe you'd have to rely on a vendor or if you have the time, you certainly can go out there and do a lot of Googling and you know help within various Facebook groups or forums and find the answers you need but you're right, I would recommend, in that situation if you have like, you said like two dozen Uh, Locations. I would probably recommend having one brand page, but then have a bunch of child pages underneath it which have your specific location places, right? And I would still, you know, I would monitor those for when your um, customers are commenting on there or when they're messaging you there. You could do this with a team of one, but I would primarily focus your main content strategy going on the brand page. Um, Now, you know, of course, again, this is like, you know, just depends on that one or two person team on their skill set. You know, are they doing other, are they performing other tasks at their job? I'm sure they are. Uh, is it purely marketing driven? But you know, my general recommendation on that point is to have a you know that parent-child relationship, but focus most of your content on the brand strategy. Those places pages are more from a customer service standpoint. Listen to what people are saying about you. Listen to when they're posting to that page, asking questions, checking in. Um, I would make sure you also have obviously the location uh, tab set up because that's what's being pulled through to other platforms. I'd be doing strategic listening on tools like. Instagram, for example, I'd be searching the, the location tag on Instagram and see what kind of content is being posted by uh, others at those various locations, curating what I can, uh, making that part of your strategy. Um, but that would probably be my, my general recommendation in this example.
1: I just have a quick follow-up to that. What's your take on a brand taking photos from a geotag, let's say, on Instagram, without mm-hmm. ask, and crediting someone but not asking
2: permission? Don't do it. It's illegal. You gotta get legal permission from them. Tools like tools like Instagram, uh or not Instagram, but like regram, for example, even using those tools and giving attribution, and I see this all the time, it drives me nuts. Um, I see brands who literally, you're right, they lift photos and they think just because they put the person's Instagram handle on the text update on Facebook that they have permission, they don't have permission. They're actually they're they're subjecting their brand or their business to be, you know, for for a lawsuit of some sort. You need to have legal permission to use that content. But there's tools out there, and there's ways. I mean, you can just do the long way, which you can literally, you can set a you know, comment to say, hey, I'd love to have permission to use this. Do you you know grant me permission to reuse this photo? And if they say yes, you gotta grab a screenshot to document it so you have it. That's the, the long way of doing it. But then there's automated tools that can help you with this process as well, so where you can actually ask for permission and you know there's a there's a link that they can go and check out to view the various terms of what they're agreeing to and then if they reply with a specific hashtag now they're thereby giving you permission to use that content and that's honestly it's it's a great way to build your content database by that user generated content and it's almost you know let's be honest it's in the, the the content created by your your guests is way better than any form of content sometimes that you could ever create on your own or even from the stock photography crap that people were putting out there a couple of years ago.
0: Can you share what tool that is or an example of that tool?
2: I can, uh, to some degree. So uh, so first of all, there's some high level enterprise ones out there that do this. And so the one that comes to my mind, top level, is uh, it's a cool called Percolate, I think. And they also, in addition, though, to doing that, they also, of course, is like a, they're a full suite manager. Now, they're very expensive. They're like, I think, five grand a month uh, to use. Um, some smaller groups might not be able to do that. We at Casual Fridays, we've actually built our, our own tool to do this and we are also going to be launching this or licensing it out so others can do it. So if you do go right now, you can actually sign up, but we will be changing the name. It's in its beta name right now, but we under the beta name it's called Remarkingly. That's R-E-M-A-R-K-I-N-G-L-Y.com, but we are gonna be changing that when we do a massive rollout here. But we built that tool uh, precisely to solve this problem and so that's how we build content databases and get legal permission uh, from from various people through those geocodes as well as hashtags and all that stuff.
0: Which social channels would you recommend a hospitality business get involved with and start using?
2: Well again I'm a big believer it always starts with you know where is your audience at and so we clearly know for a restaurant group or hospitality um, industry I mean if you're a restaurant group you know you have to make sure that you're on Yelp in this day and age uh, people use that tool all the time. I know it's like a, a, you know, people. Some people love it and some people hate it. But the reality is, the general users will use that as a as a tool to determine restaurants that they should go to. Um, I'm sure you guys have seen the statistic out there, but I think it's like 88% of people. This is like a new Nielsen study that came out at the end of last year. 88% of people trust anonymous reviews more than they do advertising. So it's highly, highly critical that you have your established presence on a on a channel like Yelp and that you have a strategy to drive more positive reviews. Of course, if you're a hotel, that's TripAdvisor, right? So what are those review channels that are relevant for your industry? Make sure you have that presence buttoned up and you have a strategy in place there. And then, of course, I still am a big believer that you have to be on Facebook. I mean, Facebook's, you know, it's like the 800 pound gorilla, 1.6 billion people now on Facebook, where I think the you know, if you throw out like LinkedIn, you throw out YouTube, and you look at really kind of the social day-to-day channels that people are using, um, you know, the next largest one is probably Instagram now. I know they've surpassed Twitter with 400 million active users, but think about that. Think of the difference between the number of people on Facebook to the number of people on Instagram. 1.6 billion all the way down to 400 million. So you have to be on Facebook. If you have the bandwidth, I still think uh, Instagram's a great channel to, you know, do a lot of visual storytelling. Uh, and, and I also am intrigued now with their ads because that is driven through Power editors, So you can do a lot of, hyper targeting based on locations or local awareness ads to the Instagram platform, as you can with Facebook. And Twitter's you know Twitter's tough for me because I do love Twitter. you know i'm I'm one who's been using it for a long time, but I, I will admit, I mean, I barely pay attention now to the tweets that people are sending out, but I love it from a one to one communication. I think it's a great channel to send people messaging. and from a customer service standpoint for the hospitality industry, I think it's something you still should be heavily involved with. Um, you know, I don't think you have to go out there and have a massive Twitter strategy to, to putting out content because I just don't think you're gonna get the engagement on that. But at a minimum, you should be using some type of tool where you're doing brand uh, mention searches. So searching for people who might be mentioning your your, your business and making sure you're monitoring any opportunities uh, where there's a customer service opportunity for you to jump in. Because if people have a negative experience, a lot of times they will go to Twitter. So those are kind of the core channels. It would, To me, it would definitely start off with you know, whatever that review channel is for your industry. Uh, definitely Facebook, and then if you have the, and I'd say probably Twitter from a customer service standpoint, and then if you have the bandwidth, then I would leverage a channel like Instagram. Now, uh, platforms like YouTube, I think if you have, again, the bandwidth to create great video content because that can also help out from a, uh, an SEO standpoint, absolutely things to consider. But, again, it just I think it kind of comes down to just overall what kind of bandwidth do you have and then kind of starting from the top of most important and kind of working your way down.
1: So given the importance of customer service, that's the word that keeps coming back up over and over again in this conversation, customer service. Let's say you're on a marketing team or you're the only marketer or person handling social and reviews for your for your restaurant, where do you start? Let's say you've never responded to a Yelp review, to a Facebook message, to a tweet. Do you start most current? Do you go back all the way? What's what's the strategy?
2: You start most current. Because if, if you haven't responded to somebody in like from a review from like a month ago or two months ago, you're just probably going to add fuel to the fire. They're they've already they've already basically moved on from you, right? And if you say, Oh, we just finally checked our Yelp profile and noticed that you know you had a really unfortunate experience eight weeks ago you're just looking more incompetent to them. So, in that situation, this is my opinion now you you know you kind of have to chalk that one up as a loss, and you know, I would just immediately take action and reply to all the new ones coming in. i I guess if you start replying to a lot of the new ones coming in and you get all caught up, you know, then you could maybe certainly kind of go back. Um, you know, If one was like three or four weeks ago, I would still say, yeah, make a stab and make an attempt and just apologize, be like, hey, you know, we have decided to make a huge effort on this and we were you know, blown away um, and surprised at, at the negative experience you had. We'd love to make it right and kind of go there. I think just you know, use your best judgment when reading that review. If it was somebody who had a, kind of a lukewarm negative review, you know, there probably still is the opportunity for you to maybe go and make that right, but if, you know, if someone gave you a one star and just basically wrote you off for dead, and you're circling back with them and, and they originally wrote that review a couple months ago, you, they're, they're moved on and you're probably just going to, if anything, you're just going to stir the pot and make them more frustrated.
0: I love that. I love, I love hearing that. It's uh, something we talk about here often on the show, the effect of replying to customers in a one-to-one basis in the ratings world versus uh, trying to figure out what they're doing on Facebook. Tyler, question for you, how should a business be measuring the success of social media marketing or, or reading some reviews replies?
2: So it's a great question. I mean, so many people always want to try to measure from an ROI standpoint, you know, did this equate to X amount of dollars. And to me it's it's rather difficult especially when you look at the significance of the the customer service side. I mean, even for us, a lot of businesses I know, they always want to pay for our services out of the marketing budget. And I've been actually trying to to really kind of enlighten them that you got to you got to look at this in a broader stroke here, you know, how do you measure the ROI on your hostess at your host desk, you know? How would you measure the ROI on your waiter? <laughs> and 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 they, you know, they kind of look at me kind of weird. It's like, well, your guests are assuming that they, you know, that they're gonna be able to communicate with your host when they walk in the restaurant. They're assuming that they can communicate with that waiter. Well, more and more people now, especially as the you know, the millennials are taking over social media. I mean, this is how they communicate. They communicate through, you know, texting, through social channels, through Snapchats, through all these stuff. And if you're not there to respond to them, then you're missing the boat. And so that's kind of how I answer that. Now I'm not an idiot. I do also recognize, you know, when you have the opportunity to measure ROI, um, certainly it's something you you should be able to do through social media. So if you are, you know, if you have the ability to have a custom website and you can put on like a custom pic or a tracking pixel, for example, um, then you can measure the success of some of your campaigns. So say you're coming up with like a Valentine's Day menu and you know you're trying to take reservations, and if you can put a conversion pixel on that and measure the Facebook ad strategy that you put behind it, great. Fantastic way to measure the ROI in social media. But for the most part, a lot of the other social media activities can be more of that top of the funnel, you know, the awareness category. And again, we just we live in a day and age where people buy when they're ready to buy. And so it comes down to just having a consistent presence, being visible, uh, and engaging with people and, and interacting with them and listening to them and helping them and putting out great content that tells the story of your brand or your business and, uh, and then, you know, by golly, when they're ready to buy, you're top of mind. That's, that's kind of how, how my approach is with it. So just being, being active out there is important. And then of course from the customer service side, if uh, somebody had a negative experience but you caught that right away in social media, you have an opportunity to fix that and retain that customer and get that customer maybe spend more money with you.
0: So the remarketing pixel Facebook uh, type of marketing is mm-hmm. really, really smart for a lot of businesses. And I don't think anybody has tackled it yet at the local level, like at the restaurant you know, bar level. Do you think that's a world that could be opened up and be uh, proved to be successful for like a local bar or restaurant business?
2: Absolutely, I mean, let's just, let's just create an example here. I mean, let's go back to the one that you guys talked about. You're that burger inside place with like two to three locations in a city, and maybe somehow I came across your website, right? Maybe I went from Yelp, because I was researching you guys, right? and on Yelp I click through and I go to your page. Now because you guys might have a uh, tracking pixel on there, okay, now you just know I went to that page. So I was somewhat interested, right? But I maybe didn't go that night for whatever reason. Well now, say you guys are posting cool content on Facebook, you can actually, even though maybe I don't even know that you're on Facebook, and I've not liked your Facebook page, you guys uh, can go ahead and target me with some of your cooler posts, and it might be engaging things, talking about your most amazing burger that's gonna be featured on uh, you know, uh, Man Vs. Food or something. And so that piece of content, you know, you can target me now through Facebook ads, which I'm, you know, I'm going to have some resonance to this because I know I was just on your web page. Or maybe you're promoting like a special happy hour you guys have. So I was somewhat interested because I came through on Yelp, but now you're actually hitting me up with this content on Facebook and it's, you know, relevant to me because I'm familiar with you guys. And I have a couple of options. I could like your page from that post. I could also engage with your content. Uh, right there, I could share your content. Now I become a marketer for you guys. I could actually maybe tag one of my friends, like, "Hey, you know, Rev, let's go check this place out." You know, in that con- in that, in the, in a the comment there. So there's just so many actions that can be taken away from there. And uh, absolutely, I, I think that's a huge untapped uh, ad tactic that probably a lot of local businesses aren't doing because they just they don't know about it.
0: Do you think that from a, again from a local standpoint? Could a bar or restaurant achieve a similar uh, awareness campaign by doing a boosted ad on Facebook, or do you feel like the pixel, uh, the tracking pixel, is going to get them a better look at what they're trying to do? Well,
2: I think it's both, and I believe in a lot of A/B testing. Yeah, you know, so definitely try it out. You know, in, in different methods. And I think you know some of your some of your ad strategy should be for like doing that retargeting. But yeah, absolutely, a, a different. You should do both if you have the budget for it. You should also be running posts, and you should be taking advantage of the. Uh, behavior and interest targeting, for sure. So say you're that local uh, restaurant, and you know, let's just use this one as an example. Let's just say you're Five Guys, let's talk burgers, right? Well, and you guys, uh, you're you're both on the East Coast, I know you guys don't have it, but I'm a big In-N-Out guy. You guys have had an In-N-Out burger, right?
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: But so you know like out here now, you know In-N-Out's out here, you know Five Guys is out here, but let's just say that you're a local vendor here in San Diego, and you are a one-off shop and you have a great burger, well, you obviously would know people who are hardcore and passionate and who love In-N-Out and who love Five Guys, they're they're not going to be just be 100% brand loyal to those ones. They're probably willing to check out other new burgers. So you could run an ad and boost your post and not only just target your fans, but you could target people outside of your fans who actually have the interest of Five Guys or um, in and out. So now you know it's very targeted to a, a group who's very passionate about those brands which are very similar to the product that you're selling.
0: I've certainly not met a, a restaurateur or a, a restaurant that's doing that. That's a great, great, great idea.
2: Absolutely. you got to target your competitors. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, as much as I love brand loyalty, um, the millennials, especially these younger demographics moving up, they're not as brand loyal as, you know, say Gen Y or the baby boomers. Gen X is kind of in between um, you know, myself personally, like the reality is, I'm not going to eat, you know, a certain burger every single time I want a burger. I'm going to try different burgers in different places. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, of places that my money could go. <laughs> I guess you could say. So, absolutely, you should be targeting, especially in the restaurant category, you should be targeting your competitors because most likely uh, people will try. You know, they'll have some affinity for multiple brands in a category.
1: Let's talk about Snapchat for a second before we. Before you wrap things up, because my understanding is that you're a big proponent of using Snapchat.
2: Love Snapchat. I will admit, it's something uh, we don't manage for any of our clients because we can't. And this goes back to the point we were talking about earlier, how social media has evolved. That's something that the content or the stories being told absolutely 100% have to be told within, um, you know, the walls of of the, of the of the the brick and mortar restaurant, for example, or business, because. Uh, you're publishing, you, you can't create snaps from a desktop, you, you gotta create them from a smartphone. and if I'm not at the location to create those snaps then I can't create them. But I, yeah, me personally, big advocate of it and it's something that we are working with a lot of clients on developing their Snapchat strategy though.
1: So that being said, you're helping them develop their strategy and they're going to be devoting a decent amount of time to it mm-hmm. but how do they know that they're being successful? How can they test?
2: So, great question. Now, we have not run this with any of our clients, but I'll give you an example of a brand that, that has done something that I think is spectacular. Um, out here, I'm, I'm really good friends with the head of digital and social media for the San Diego Chargers. This is an NFL team. Um, they post a lot of snaps of you know, behind the scenes footage. So like during the season, they might get players who they're just talking to, showing them like icing, you know, in the ice bucket, you know, nursing injury, or in practice, they're showing cool stuff and they're letting the, the players just speak to it. And it's exclusive content that's only available on Snapchat. Well then, they, you know, one of their goals was to, of course, grow their email subscribers on uh, chargers.com. And so they did a lot of contesting promotions and I remember I saw one recently where they were, they were basically saying, hey, you know, we're giving away an autographed jersey by Keenan Allen. He's a star wide receiver for the team. Um, details coming up only on Snapchat. And they promoted this all throughout all their social channels, right? And then on Snapchat, what they were doing is they, they would show pictures of the jersey, and then they kind of told stories like, you know, in 10 minutes, we'll tell you how to win and then when it got to the time they said you know you know, go to your internet browser and, and insert the following link and they put a bitly link i think it was like bit, bitly.com/ slash, you know keenan allen giveaway or something like that and and this is what's cool about the snapchat audience they're highly engaging really like just ridiculously highly engaged So the Chargers have about 17,000 followers on Snapchat, which is not, you know, it's decent. Snapchat's a newer platform. Uh, To put that in perspective, that ranks like 17th, I think is what Joel was telling me in the NFL, or of the NFL teams. So about 17,000 followers on Snapchat. What do you, let me ask this to you guys. What would be a good conversion? If X amount of those 17,000 people actually went to that Bitly link and put in their email address, what would be, from your perspective, an amazing conversion?
0: 5%, 2%.
2: You're right, right? Like if you got 5% of your Facebook audience to do that, you'd be doing jumping jacks, right? You know how many you know what percentage of their their Snapchat Snapchat audience did this? And I and I actually might even be higher because when he told this to me, this was only 4 after 4 hours after they posted it and that meant that that Snap still had up to another, you know, 20 hours that it could be displayed. They had 13% of their audience actually go to that bitly link. Pretty pretty huge. Very engaged crowd. Yep, exactly. So I guess if I'm a restaurant, I would definitely like as Snapchat's getting more and more popular, I would incorporate my snap code on my menus. <laughs> you guys know what the snap code is, right?
0: Oh yeah, M- much like you, I have mine pinned to the top tweet on my Twitter account.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, you got it. You got to promote it now. So I'd have my snap code like on our menu and I would I would tell our audience like, "Listen, you know, f- you know, follow us on Snapchat for exclusive specials only available on Snapchat, right?" And the, the people who are, are, who are on Snapchat, they're going to they're gonna go ahead and do that because it's a passionate audience. A lot of people won't really probably follow you on Snapchat, but that's fine. But those that do are very engaged. And then I would you know, make, as you develop your content strategy, make sure you feed some value to them. You know, Tell the stories, show them what you're doing, but then also sprinkle in some of that cool content uh, that might be an offer where they can only redeem it through Snapchat. So I would definitely leverage that channel if I were a, a restaurant.
0: Tyler, this has been a really, really awesome conversation and some great, great insight in here. At the end of our podcast each week, we wrap it up with the same questions, and so we're going to go to that for you as well. All right. Uh, What was your favorite burger from childhood?
2: So sadly growing up, well, I grew up in Minnesota and I honestly, I can't think of a burger outside of like the basic chains that I, I loved. So I'm, I don't want to even say it because it was definitely probably a McDonald's burgers, which is just wrong.
1: We get so, it a lot on this podcast. People I'm going
2: go, go, to go with the college years. So when I moved to, to San Diego for college, that's when I was introduced to In-N-Out and In-N-Out by far to me is like the best fast food burger out there.
1: So then, what it can't be in and out. What's the best burger you've had recently?
2: Well, to me, the best burger in San Diego is this place called Rockies. Have you guys ever heard of Rockies?
0: Uh, I've not been to San Diego a minute, so I'm not familiar.
2: Brad, of you, have you ever been to San Diego? No.
1: Sorry, I have. I have been to San Diego. I used to work for a nonprofit that had a, a, a location out there, but uh, I've never heard of Rockies.
2: So Rockies is like legendary. It's in the Pacific Beach area, and they have. It, it, what I love about it is it's it's simple. You go there, and all you can order is either a hamburger. Or a cheeseburger, or French fries, and that's it. And beer, and cold beer. That's all they got. And they are the best burgers in San Diego. Um, so and now that's not the last burger I had. I'm trying to think. The last burger I ate was a few weeks ago when I was in uh, Las Vegas uh, at some sports bar that also had a, a sports book in it. But um, best hamburger by far in San Diego outside of In and Out. If you want like a good standalone single restaurant, Rockies.
1: All right, that's the hot tip. Uh, Tyler, you have obviously a huge wealth. Of marketing information, but if you could only give one piece of advice to someone in the food marketing business, what would it be?
2: Don't promote. You know, share share the story behind your restaurant. You know, uh, the people at the restaurant. You know, your employees, the appetizers, the entrees, the desserts, the drinks, everything. Everything has a story, and it just kind of goes back to what I was saying before. You know, people buy when they're ready to buy, and so but you can it's you know you can have definitely the power of influencing them, and to me like telling those stories about those things is a great way to do that and I, I'm going to give you a second one too. I know you only asked for one, but that, that's one is just tell stories. The other one would be like, you know when you have a satisfied customer, and so you need to train your staff when they have those satisfied customers, like those extremely satisfied customers, to ask for the review because those reviews are invaluable. Pulling that stat back that I mentioned earlier, 88% of people trust anonymous reviews, so you got to have a review strategy, and you got to get the people who are truly satisfied customers to make sure they're out there giving you those five-star reviews.
1: Awesome. Well, it was great. Thanks so much for coming on the show this week. Tyler, why don't you let everybody know where they can find out about you?
2: So if you want to connect with me on social, it's pretty easy. Uh, Twitter is at Tyler J. Anderson. Snapchat's one I'm really big on too, and that is T-J-A snaps. That's T is in Tom, J is in Jackson, A is in Anderson, and then snaps. Of course, if you want to learn more about the business, just check out CasualFridays.com.
0: Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.